Welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is Saturday, April 29, 2023. My name is Dottie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from the state of New Jersey. I will be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts are Harlan G., Danny P., Sue L., Tanya G. Thank you. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. The chat function will be disabled until five minutes before the question and answer question session, but you can still message the co-host or myself. Please note that the speaker Harlan G will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer session, which follows, will not be recorded. We ask if you can please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. During the meeting, we will post the link to our seven tradition. This money goes toward the cost of our Zoom account, the cost of uploading our recordings, and we will also send contributions to our intergroup and WSO. We will post a link to the previous week's recordings, and these are available by clicking on that link that will be posted in the chat box very soon. And I now am very grateful to turn the meeting over to Harlan G. Thank you, Harlan. Thank you very much, Dottie. I am so excited to be here. Uh, last weekend, I was in absolute paradise. I was in Santa Cruz, California. We had a deliciously wonderful workshop right on the Pacific Ocean. It was just glorious, just fantastic. And But I am equally or more so glad to be back with you guys here uh, this morning. What, what, a, what a great day. I hope that it is as unbelievable where you are as it is here. We're going to be about 98 degrees today. The humidity is shoe size. I don't even have my air conditioner on. It is just absolutely glorious here in the Sonoran Desert. I hope it is where you are too. We have been talking about the first nine steps of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, Overeaters Anonymous. And we have dealt with everything that brings us into focus with getting right with God and getting right with ourselves and right with our fellow human beings. And what we're going to embark on this morning is we're going to talk about step 10. But before we actually get into the nuts and bolts of step 10, we're going to talk just for a little bit as we do, for you know, as is my want every week. Character defects never really go away permanently because character defects are the children of ego. And when ego is involved, the ego resurrects itself gorgeously. You know, if every single thing in your body, every organ of your body, every, every tissue of your body resurrected itself as gorgeously as the ego, we would live to be 10,000, 15,000 years old because the ego resurrects completely, it resurrects boldly, and it resurrects almost immediately upon any uh, stimulus. And the character defects, again, are selfish, self-seeking, fear, resentment, 
and um, what else? Fear, <laughs> selfish, dishon oh, dishon selfish, dishonest, self, self-seeking, frightened, and resentment. Those are the five character defects. Is being late for work a character defect? No, that's a behavior that stems from a character defect. Is yelling at the dog a character defect? No, it's a behavior that stems and emanates from the character defects. So there's a difference between behaviors that emanate from character defects and the character defects that parent them. There's a big difference between the two. So we have a situation where this is very, very true. I'm about to lay it on you. No matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. And as a human being, I am going to be vulnerable to antagonism from the basic instincts of life. What are the basic instincts of life? Well, there's the social instinct. If I feel like you're upsetting what I currently have in the social instinct, it's going to make me upset. It's going to make me angry. It's going to scare me. If you are upsetting my ambitions for the future in this area, the social instinct, it's going to scare me. It's going to anger me. I'm going to lash out at you. You in turn are going to uh, lash out at me, creating pain and suffering for me. And that's not going to go well, because then I'm going to eat to assuage those feelings. And that has been going on our entire life. What are the other characters? What are the other basic instincts of life? Well, there's the security instinct. If you have me fired from my job, or you upset my ambitions for the future in pocketbook, emotional security and personal security, you are going to get in me anger, you're going to get fear. And what's going to happen is I'm going to strike out at you, you in turn are going to strike out at me creating pain and suffering for me. And what's ultimately going to happen is the only thing I know to assuage that feeling is food, because food will give me an instant sense of ease and comfort that comes right away instantly by eating certain foods. Does steamed broccoli do it? No. Does steamed cauliflower do it? No. Does toma sliced tomato do it? No. I get it from Chips Ahoy, fried foods, chunky bars, almond joys, M&Ms with peanuts. That's what I look to, to get me that instant sense of ease and comfort. And then there's the last of the three instincts is the sex instinct. This is where a lot of your poetry, your, a lot of your music comes from. This is where everything comes from is my baby left me and she left me at, you know, at, at whatever, you know, the sex instinct. If you upset what I currently have in that area or my ambitions for the future, I promise no more singing this morning. I promise. But if you upset what I currently have or my ambitions for the future, you're going to upset me. You're going to make me, you're going to make me scared. You're going to make me angry. And so I'm going to lash out at you in whatever way I can. And then you're going to lash out at me. And the only thing I know to do is to assuage that feeling of guilt and shame and fear and anger and remorse. All I know to do is to treat it with Dr. Chips Ahoy, 
or Dr. M&Ms or Dr. Almond Joy Bars. Those are my doctors. My father used to say when I'd get sick as a little boy, he used to say the best doctors in the world is a pillow and a chicken because he'd say, go to sleep. I'll make you some chicken soup. And he'd say, the best doctor in the world is a pillow and a chicken. That's what he used to say to me all the time. But anyway, the bottom line is, is that we have a situation where we are still, even though we are doing our program and we're in the middle of our amends and we're making them or whatever we're doing, or we haven't maybe started our amends yet, but we're going to feel fear. We're going to feel guilt and shame and remorse. We're going to feel these things because that's normal for human beings to feel. How in the world am I going to go into somebody's office who I have cheated out of money or lied to or done whatever or all of the above? How am I going to go into someone's home or someone's office to make amends to that person and not need the instant uh, relief that the 10th step can bring me? What is the purpose of the 10th step? What is the purpose of it? Well, the purpose of the 10th step is to lower the level of emotional buildup so that the toxicity from that emotional buildup will not catapult me into the arms of a pizza. So this is the reason that we do a 10 step, because why do I go to pizza? Why do I go to Chips Ahoy? Why do I go to Doritos and all the various things that I know will bring me such heartache and such misery? because they also bring me the sweet relief of the effect. So they are a double-edged sword. Fritos and potato chips bring me sweet relief from the rejection that I have known from females or the loneliness that I have known in the world or the depravity of, that I have known in the world or the guilt and the shame or any of those, of those messages that I send myself for decades and decades of my life. I get sweet relief in matzo ball soup, fried chicken, you name it. So those are double-edged swords. But what is the purpose of the 10th step? It's to take these fears, take these resentments, take that guilt and shame and remorse and the toxicity of these emotions and reduce them to a level where the signal in my brain will not start up and say, it's okay to eat. Eating is a step up from where you are. So what I have is a method whereby God is providing me with a cold shower. And I did a podcast on step 10 a number of years ago for a vision for you. And it was on 10 steps. And I did, a, I did this a, a number of years ago. And the title of that podcast was God's Cold Shower, because that's exactly what step 10 really is. It's God's cold shower. In other words, it wakes me up instantly, and it brings me to a point of sobriety. It brings me into reality that things are not as bad as my mind thinks they are. I have 
I, I tend to catastrophize. I have that, that emotional distortion. I tend to catastrophize things. I see the sword of Damocles hanging over me all the time when in reality it's not there. And I have to have other people in program remind me that it's not there. I have to have people remind me that the sun is shining and that the birds are singing and that life is worth living. Why do I need a sponsor so much? I need a sponsor to tell me the obvious. My sponsor doesn't usually unlock great secrets for me. I'm a, I'm a person in a canoe on a lake and everybody's canoe is zooming past me. And my sponsor comes by in his canoe and I say, hey, John, I'm not moving. And he'll yell out, Put your oar in the water and start paddling. Because it's if it's so obvious, often I won't see it. And when I put my oar in the water, my paddle in the water, and I start paddling my canoe, mine goes just as quickly as most of the other people. But I need that reminder. Well, step 10 is an excellent excellent tool for God to remind me to put your paddle in the water and start paddling. Do the work. Let's take a look at page 84. And what I'd like to do this morning is I would very much like to smash some of the misconceptions of step 10. And I would like to further our understanding this morning of how to do a quick and efficient step 10. Now, I want to remind you that the only steps where there are written assignments are four, eight, and sometimes nine. There's no writing involved in step 10. None, none whatsoever. So I want to pull this stuff apart and I want to help further our understanding this morning of step 10, what it is and what it is not. And if you're around me, you hear me say this all the time, that the two most underutilized steps are two and 10. And we're going to marry those steps this morning through God's use of the word sanity. Put a pin in that because we're going to be talking about sanity a little later on today. Let's take a look at page 84 and let's take a look at what it says in the middle of the page. It says this thought, what thought, that these promises may be a little extravagant? No, they will always materialize if we work for them. Then it says, this thought brings us to step 10, which, can, which suggests that we continue, and we're going to see the word continue four times in this paragraph, four times, you know, because we hear all the time, in 10, we continue, in 11, we improve, and in 12, we practice. I'm going to say that again. In 10, we continue. In 11, we improve, and in 12, we practice. So we're going to see the word continue four times in this paragraph. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. Let's stop right there. 
from time to time, I will whip out paper and pencil and I will do a step 10. But not a step 10, excuse me. I just got through telling you there's no writing in step 10. I will do a step four. If something will not yield to my step 10, let's say I'm having a problem in my significant relationship. Let's say I'm having a problem with a friend. Let's say I'm having a financial difficulty or I'm making a tough decision, something like that. And I just can't get that discomfort to yield to a step 10. Now I know if it's persisting, I have to do a full on step four. But what I don't have to do is a full on step four two, three, four, five times a day. So when it says we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along, that means we're going to be working four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine all the time throughout our life. Recently, I've done several step fours, and so they help me a lot. But now let's get to the other part of it. It says, we vigorously commenced this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So let's clean up one of the misconceptions about step 10. And one of the misconceptions about step 10 is that we do step 10 or start step 10 when we're done with nine because we hear this all the time, work the steps in order. But this big book sentence is telling me that's not true. It says we vigorously, vigorously is, a, is an adverb. And what we want to do vigorously means with enthusiasm, with speed, with enthusiasm, with vigor. We vigorously commence. What does commence mean? We begin this way of life, step 10, as we cleaned up the past. And that little word as is very important. Let's take a look at the word as. As means concurrently. As means as you are doing the rest of the steps to clean up the past. If God wanted me and Bill was his scribe, if Bill Wilson wanted me to do step 10 after I did step nine, the sentence would read, we vigorously commenced this way of living after we cleaned up the past. But it says, as we cleaned up the past. And that means that I'm going to do it simultaneous to doing my other steps. What other steps am I talking about specifically? Well, we've done four. Here's the clean up the past steps. Four, five six, seven, eight, nine. See, a lot of people think that the inventory process is four and five. Not true. That's just a part of the inventory process. If you look at the book, it's, it, it's, it starts with the third step prayer. But do you notice something at the end of the third step prayer? It does not say the word amen. And when the word amen next appears in the big book, it's in the seventh step prayer. And so what God is telling me is that everything four, five, six, seven related is going to be part of that process. So the word amen is omitted from the third step prayer deliberately by God because he wants us to understand that this is a several step process. 
But part of the process of cleaning up the past undeniably has to be steps eight and nine, because now I'm going to go out of that cocoon, that cocoon of safety that OA provides me. You know, hopefully you guys love me. I love you. I can pretty much say anything I want to in here. And it's cool. It's groovy. It's wonderful. But now in step nine, I've got to go out to people that are not a part of this way of life. And I've got to say to that person, I was a yutz and I wrote you bad checks and I lied to you when the truth would have worked better. And I was a putz to you. I treated you like a putz and I'm so sorry. Here's money. I owe you money. Here's money or whatever that may be for you. Some of you are whatever. I don't know. I don't want to enumerate. I don't want to judge. Some of you did such and such. With me, my I didn't kiss anybody's girlfriend. Too bad for me. I didn't kiss anybody's wife. Too bad for me. I didn't do those things. What I did, my amends were money amends, or my amends were amends of saying something very rude because I was in pain and I wanted to die. And my, my stomach was hanging down to my knees and, and I was emasculated by this disease and I was lonely and I was scared and hurt people hurt people. I was hurting and hurt people hurt people. And that's what I had to go make amends for in my life. And so it became extremely important to me to do step 10, because otherwise I would not have had the courage to do step nine. So we do not begin step 10 after we do step nine. We do step 10 as we do these things, I generally introduce people to step 10 thusly. I give them three hours for step four. That's it. Three hours, pencils down. There's no reason to make this into war and peace. There's no reason to make this into a John Irving epic. No reason to do that. In, out, you know who you resent. Don't tell me that you don't. Don't tell me you don't know who or what you fear. And don't tell me you don't know who you've harmed sexually. If there are questions, that's why you have a sponsor. What do I do, John? My, my canoe isn't going. Put your paddle in the water, Harlan, and start paddling. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, my, my canoe's going pretty good. So if you need help with step four, that's why you have a sponsor. We are here to help you, but there's no reason to, to protract that out. It's ridiculous. Three hours for step four. Then we start step five. Then we give you the hour and I start you six and seven should take about 30 seconds each. If step six and seven take more than a minute total for the boat for the two steps, you're doing it incorrectly. Then I start them immediately on eight, nine and 10 and 11. Immediately, bang, 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 bang. Because 11 doesn't really need any prep. All you need to do, know how to do to do step 11 is read. Now, if you want to interject other prayers, and I don't want to get sidetracked or hijacked here with step 11. Step 11 will be next week. But I want to focus on step 10. I introduce step 10. 
the minute we come out of that hour after step five. So you, you return home for an hour. You know what I'm talking about? Bottom of page 75. Okay. Once you come back to me, we do six and seven, and I start you on eight. You're not doing nines yet, but you're doing eight, and I will start you on 10, and I will start you on 11, and then very, very soon, you're going to be sponsoring too, because nothing ensures immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. If you're not sponsoring, you're going to die in the food. You want me to say that again? Okay, I will. If you're not sponsoring and you've had a spiritual awakening, you're going to die in the food. This is a 12-step program, not an 11-step program. But now back to step 10 after that message from our sponsors. So back to step 10. As we cleaned up the past, very, very important word. In the big book, you have to watch words and you have to watch punctuations. They are the key to recovery. And that little word, amen, that is not in the third step prayer, that is in the seventh step prayer, gives you a picture of what God's intentions were, that the process of cleaning up the past is not as simple as just three and four and five, that it extends out to six and seven. And after what, during the seven step prayer at the end, the word amen does appear. That's the close of the thought. In my religion of childhood, amen means we're done with that, with that thought, with that prayer, and we're now ready to move to something else. And whenever they would say that in the synagogue that I attended, I knew we were moving forward. And before you knew it, it would be sponge cake time. And I would grab those little cups of whiskey and trade them for more sponge cake at the end of the service. Because I wasn't interested in the whiskey, but I was interested in sponge cake. So I would grab the whiskey, the little whiskey things, and trade them for sponge cake. Okay. Now, we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Now, let me talk about that for just a minute here. We have entered the world of the spirit. What does that mean? Notice that spirit is capitalized. So when I enter the world of the spirit, what that means to me is I am now becoming, I am not there yet but I am becoming the person that God originally intended before this disease hijacked me and made me into the chameleon, scared to death, sniveling coward, the guilt-ridden, shame-ridden, anger-filled, feel-feared person that this disease wrought into my life. I was never intended to be the person that I became under the whip and the yoke of the food. I needed to shed that yoke. I needed to worship a different God. I had to stop worshiping Reese's peanut butter cups. I had to stop worshiping pizza. I had to stop worshiping the God of food, and I had to start worshiping the God of the universe. And when I did that, it's a process. I'm not there yet. 
I am becoming the human being that God originally intended me to be. And what else happens in that world is I start to like me a lot more because I start treating myself as I would a friend. I start treating other people the way I want to be treated. I'm more honest than I've ever been. I'm more forthcoming than I've ever been. And you know what? I don't have to think so much. I don't have to put so much effort into, now what lie do I have going with Joe? What lie do I have going with 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 Mike or Sam or whoever the heck it is. I don't want to be a Democrat because you're a Democrat. I don't want to be a Republican because you're a Republican. I'm going to stand on my own two feet and I'm going to be the person that I am. And I'm going to speak my truth because that's what God intended for me all along. And it feels fantastic. And this is where you fly. This is where you embrace life. This is where you grab life and say, take me with you wherever you are going. I want to go too. where the only place I wanted to go was death or Doritoville or Chips Ahoy Town. Those are the only destinations that I hit. Now, I still compare myself to other people more than I should, and I still get scared. And I, no matter how evolved my recovery gets, I will never rise above the level of a human being. But when I enter the world of the spirit, something else happens. And that is, I become more God conscious. I pray every day. But more than pray, I act on that prayer. I act on those instructions. How do I do that specifically? I treat other people with love and kindness. I stay away from people that are toxic to me. I do not engage with people that are difficult to be around. They are vexatious to the spirits. Loud and aggressive people for me are vexatious to the spirit. I don't have to love, I don't have to hang around with everybody. I do have to love everyone, but I do not have to be joined at the hip with people or things or places that are toxic to me. And I've learned that it's okay if so-and-so and I are no longer friends. I've learned that it's okay for me to separate from situations, people, and places that are not in my best interest. And most of all, most of all, I want to live. I don't know how much time I have left. I'm going to be 69 years old here in just 25 days. I don't know how much time I have left. No one does. But I want to do what those concentration camp survivors told me to do when I was a little boy. They would grab my face and grab my cheeks and they would say, live until you die. And, you know, for a long time, I thought that having a lot of Reese's peanut butter cups and a lot of almond joys and a lot of milk duds was living until I died. Now I understand that that's not what they meant. And that's not what God had intended for me. Live until you die means live and go out there and have fun, but recover. 
and I'm not going to recover. I'm not going to live today to recover. I'm going to recover to live. I'm doing the best that I can. I am human. I have trauma in my background, severe trauma in my background. I work at overcoming it every day of my life. And to one degree or another, I may never overcome certain things. Certain things are issues that are in the tissues. And when the issues are in the tissues, they become very difficult to shed. But I'm doing the best I can. And through the fellowship, and the program, and the book, and my sponsor, at least I'm aware of them. Let me blow my nose here. <sighs> okay. All right. This is better the last time we met, not the one, not the time when I was at Poop Park in Chicago, but the time before when I was here, man, I couldn't even see my eyes were tearing up, and I'm free of that this morning, and I'm so happy. I, I'm blowing my nose a little here and there, but nothing, nothing to get very excited about. I'm so thrilled. I, I can't even begin to tell you. Okay. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. You see, the misnomenclature of these 10, 11, and 12 steps is that they're maintenance steps. Don't listen to that horse hockey. There is no maintenance. There is no maintaining. Why not? Because your disease is permanent, progressive, and fatal. Your disease is growing at an alarming rate. And the older you get, the worse it progresses, the faster it progresses. It, life and disease are like a roll of toilet paper. The closer to the end you get, the faster it goes and goes and goes. So the older I get, the more the disease exponentially will progress. So that's why we have to do more and more and more and not the same, the same, the same. Are you going to the same meetings all the time? Are you calling the same people all the time? Are you not working with a sponsor? Are you eating things you know you shouldn't be eating? Are you engaging in behaviors that you know you shouldn't do, but you've been getting away with it for a while? Well, let me give you the bad news. You're not going to be getting away with it for very long because the disease is getting worse, never better. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He decided he would not touch another drop until he had been successful in business and remained bone dry for 25 years. After 25 years, out came his carpet slipper in a bottle and he was dead within four years. If you're not eating and you're abstinent, do you think that makes your disease go away? No. Do you think that stops the progression of your disease? No, it does not. No matter who you are, if you have this disease, the disease is permanent and progressive. And if untreated, you'll die from it. You have two choices here. You can die with the disease or you can die from the disease. And they are remarkably different. Dying with the disease means you die a free woman or a free man, and you don't have to die with a stomach full of chocolate. Dying from the disease means you never will have lived. The disease of compulsive overeating 
alcoholism, drug addiction, gambling is a life unlived. You're here and it looks like you're here, but you're really not. You're not living. This is a walking death. So we have a situation on our hands where we have this, let's continue with the instruction. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. Let's stop right there. It's, it's not an overnight matter. And this is something that I will be working on for the rest of my life. So don't call me up and say you've relapsed, but you worked the steps years ago. Why do you have to work them again? Because if you working the steps years ago was so effective, we wouldn't be having this conversation of you being in relapse now, would we? You are going to work on your recovery if you want to recover. You are going to be working on your recovery for the rest of your life, and there's no days off. Don't give me the horse hockey not to call you because you're on vacation. Don't give me that chicken bleep that you're going out of town or you're 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 on your honeymoon or whatever. The disease doesn't care. This disease doesn't give a damn. This disease will take you and and rock your world. This disease preys on the typical, it preys on the atypical. Any day that ends in a Y is a day when you are prey to this disease. Any day that ends in a Y, you are vulnerable to the nuances and the enchantment of this disease. It should continue for our lifetime. There's that word again for the third time. It should continue for our lifetime. Never stop recovering. Never stop learning. Never stop looking at your food plan. Never stop looking at your steps. Never stop looking at what you're doing in program. It is a never-ending expansion. And as I give up more food, my life gets better and better and better. As I, as I give up Harlan, there's more room for God. The more Harlan I have in my life, the less God I have in my life. The more God I have in my life, I have less Harlan in my life. And the less Harlan I have in my life, the better I do and the more I love life. The more God, the less Harlan. The more Harlan, the less God. This gets my ego level. Let's continue. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. There's the fourth continue. And what does it say here? Watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. He left out self-seeking, which is fine. Those are four character defects. Again, is coming late for work a character defect? No. Is not calling the doctor for an appointment a character defect? No. These are behaviors that emanate from our character defects of fear or anger or selfishness. So these defects of character, selfish, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. What step did we use to address selfish, dishonest, resentment, and fear? That's right, step four. Step four was the step where we use these steps. Now, 
when these crop up. Notice again, look at the word when. It does not say if. It says when. So what is God telling you here? That the appearance of these defects and the inherent behaviors that emanate from these defects are going to occur because you are human. You want things you can't have. You want things that if you have them, you are not going to, you're still not going to be happy. Nothing remains new forever. Nothing remains exciting forever. We have to work at these things. Nothing remains the, the new car that you promised you're not going to pass gas in and you're not going to eat in there and you're not going to drink coffee in there becomes the car and you're farting away and you're drinking coffee and you're drinking tea and you're you're eating whatever you're eating, whatever you're doing. It becomes the car. The new house becomes the house. Whatever it is, Clancy Emerson loves this analogy. He, he, he says, every time somebody calls up about their new relationship, he wants to say, oh, Clancy's not here right now, but he can't. So, oh, our, I met her coming out of rehab. She was just coming out of the lockup. And I met her and our eyes locked and I knew she was the one. And they have their little love cottage and they reach for the salt and their hands touch. Oh, our hands touched and oh, it was wonderful. He says, you don't know how to tell him this, but in four months, six months, whatever it is, you're going to reach for the salt and she's going to reach for the salt. And you're going to say, give me the goddamn salt. Because nothing remains new and exciting forever. And so we have to work at these things. If we don't work at these things, then we become very disenchanted. Okay, so when these things crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. What step did, two steps did we use to ask God to remove our defects of character? That's right, six and seven. Even the Brazilian on the line knows how to do six and seven. Okay, very good. Thanks, Danny. But the bottom line is we discuss them with someone immediately. What step do we use to discuss things immediately? Step five. So does it say we email our sponsor? No. Does it say we send a letter or put a, a, a message in a bottle? No. It says we discuss them with someone immediately, not at night. Not early in the morning, unless it is at night or early in the morning. It's done something right now. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly, eight and nine, if we've harmed anyone. So in this little half paragraph, so far, you have worked steps four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. Now we're going to also say, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. That means step 12 is in step 10. Does that also show you that you don't have to wait to work step 12? Yeah, it shows me that because you have to look at the language that God has chosen for his sacred book. It says, then we resolutely, resolutely means with purpose turn our thoughts to someone we can help love and tolerance of others is our code. Now I'm going to challenge you to do this. 
you go work four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and twelve every day, four or five times a day, and eat chocolate ice cream. You can't do it. You cannot do it because the awareness that this is killing you is going to be so apparent to you and you're not going to have that buildup of emotion that is sending you headfirst into the arms of the Doritoville choir. You don't need to do that. You won't be going to Chips Ahoy Town. You won't be going to Doritoville because you won't want to. So this step is vital absolutely vital in keeping you grounded so that the urge to eat does not come upon you. You see, all my life, I wanted a way to not to avoid eating. That was an ultimate goal. But what did I really want? I didn't want to want to eat. Let me say that again, because it can be confusing. I didn't want to want to eat. And this step, when worked in concert with everything, will circumvent that urge to eat that has been killing me from the day I was born. For as far back as I can remember, the urge to eat food that I knew damn well was killing me was irresistible to my soul, irresistible to my heart. I could not stay out of the food. I have 24 years of abstinence. I couldn't get 24 minutes of abstinence. I didn't see the purpose to it. Why would I even want to be abstinent for 24 minutes when I'm just gonna die anyway? The doctors told me I was gonna die. Every adult in my environment told me I wasn't, I was going to die. And existentially, when you're fat as a child, you are incorrect. You are wrong. You are defective. You are not like the other children. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is an existential wrongness to your soul. You are absolutely outcast from our society. This is not a society that accepts the obese. We will accept a lot of things and we're getting better. We're, we're improving all the time. We're getting much, much better. But we as a society are not accepting of the morbidly obese. It's not happened in the 69 years almost that I have been on earth. So my life has been a life of me drowning in this idea that I'm not like the other kids, that I'm not like the other people, and that I am permanently excluded. And almost every day of my life, I get reminders as people reflect back on their past. I get naked, raw reminders that I am not like the other kids. Well, this step removes the urge to eat. It makes it so that I do not want to want to eat. And this is what I have been looking for since I was born, is to not remove the food, but remove the desire for the food. This step 
is your ticket. So this is a step I work three, four, five times a day. I work it by calling someone and saying, hey, I'm scared. Here's what's going on in my significant relationship. Here's what's going on with my friend. This week, unfortunately, we, and I say we because there's not just me, we had one of our friends who committed suicide. He was 67 years old. He was a wonderful guy. We all loved him very much. He got into a financial jam, got into a real bad financial um, mess, and he opted to, to kill himself, even though there were a lot of people who loved him. And we will miss him dearly. We will miss him tremendously. We will never forget him. Never. We will never get together and not mention his name. We will never get together and be complete again because he is not among us. And we're very, very sorry. Well, how do you go through something like that? Now, he wasn't as close to me as he was to somebody that I'm very close to. But how do you go through that without chips ahoy? How do you go through that without ice cream or pizza? Because it's a perfect excuse. See, it's a great excuse. See, I have some hall passes from math or high school at my house from 1972. I snatched them from Mr. Kawaki. I snatched them off of his desk. And I still have them. And their hall passes for Mather. Um, there's no hall pass from this disease. But someone killing themselves or a tragedy or a, a beautiful thing. In Jewish, we call it a simcha. Something good or something bad. That's a perfect excuse to go eat my head off. This step removes the urge to do so. I do not eat today, not because I'm disciplined but because I do not want to want to eat any food that is not on my food plan. And I have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. And that word sanity brings us back to what step? It brings us back to step number two. And in step number two, why does God use the word sanity rather than sobriety? After all, isn't this about sobriety? Isn't it about abstinence? No, he uses the word sanity because sanity is so much more open-ended, high ceiling, all-encompassing. You see, if all this program could give me was abstinence, I don't know that I'd still be alive because that's not enough for me. I want more. Maybe you want more, but I want more than just sobriety or abstinence. I want sanity. I have the courage today to be who I am. I have the courage today to speak my mind. I have the courage today to walk out into the world and not think that I am existentially wrong, that there's nothing about me that should separate me from the mainstream of life. And that was a long time coming. And I'm going to tell you something. I paid for that with blood and sweat and tears. I paid for that with decades of my life. I missed out on everything. I missed out on everything. But today, I am, in my opinion, I am the man that God wanted me to be from the very beginning of my life.
<clears throat> we will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame, we react sanely and normally. There's that concept again of sanity. You see what happens, and I hate to disillusion you, if you're in year one, year two, year three, whatever year you're in, you plot along and it's eat, don't eat, go to meetings, eat, don't eat, go to meetings, eat, don't eat, go to meetings, don't puke, don't, don't starve yourself, go to meetings. And then what happens around year four or five or six or seven, depending upon how serious you are, you start to notice that other areas of your life that you didn't even know were broken are being repaired. You start to notice that you're a lot less interested in fixing someone else because you have a sense that you have work to do on you. You're a lot less interested in things that destroy you. You start to look for quality in your relationships where all you looked for before was, is this person going to tolerate me? I got married in 1992. And I married a very lovely person. There's nothing wrong with her. She's great. I wish her nothing but the best. But the truth of the matter is, I should never have married this person. I married this person out of desperation. There were red flags all over the place. And I ignored them. I spit on them. Because I finally caught a fish and I wasn't throwing it back. So I married her. And the marriage ended in divorce. Well, today, I would not do that. I would not make a choice like that. I'm not going to make a choice out of desperation and fear because I have more trust, not in me. I have more choice and I have more faith in God than that. And my reactions are more sane. Notice I didn't say my reactions are sane. I said they're more sane. I'm a work in progress. I am a work in progress. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. I'm not necessarily in concert with that. I've worked my butt off. From time to time, I have to be very grateful, not from time to time, always I have to be very grateful about what the OA program has done for me. It gave me life. It gave me everything I could ever want and more. It didn't give me everything I wanted. I said it gave me everything I could ever want and more. And because I am in the position I'm in within OA, I get to do a lot of speaking and workshops and retreats and conventions and so on and so forth. And I'm grateful for that. But I wouldn't agree that it was without effort on my part. It just comes. I paid for this with blood and sweat and tears, a lot of tears. I remember August 14th, 19, not 19, August 14th, 2010, 
was the day after I moved out of my house after my divorce. Two German shepherds were looking at me and they needed to go out. And I sat on that bed and I bawled like a baby. I didn't know what end was up. I didn't know how to live. I didn't know what I was going to do. I hadn't a clue what the hell I was going to do. And I put one foot in front of the other and OA showed up for me. You came when no one else could. You took me to meetings when I couldn't see straight to drive. You came into my life and you taught me how to buy sheets and taught me to wash my hair every day and use conditioner. And you taught me how to buy underwear and socks. You taught me how to practice my personal hygiene. You taught me all the things I needed to know that I never learned in my life. You came and got me when I was dying and I was circling the drain going down. That is the miracle of it. It says we are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we had been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. Now, if I was training for a marathon, would you suggest that I go to the gym once a week or once a month? Or would you suggest I work on my condition every day? If you are a decent trainer and you know anything about exercise physiology, you would say go to the gym every single day. And I see so many people that say, I call my sponsor two, three times a week. What, what, what's that about? You don't need to call a sponsor every day. Your sponsor tolerates that. And sometimes it's the sponsor that says, don't call me more than two, three times a week or once a week. That's a person I would not have as a sponsor. I have to keep in fit spiritual condition every single day of my life. I have to work at this recovery harder and harder and harder and harder every single day, because that's the way this is. And if I don't work at this, I will not remain in fit spiritual condition. And if I don't remain in fit spiritual condition, I am going to be back in Doritoville and I'm going to be the mayor of Chips Ahoy Town. Every single day is a day when we need to bring God's will into our life. Now, I have to remember, very, very important for me to remember, that fit spiritual condition means maybe I work different muscles on different days. Maybe it's inherent upon me this weekend to go to a meeting, even if it's on Zoom, which is fine, go to a meeting I don't normally go to. Maybe I'm going to call somebody in program that I don't normally talk to. See, it's very easy for me. It's a fixed fight. I get so many phone calls every day that I could just let the calls come to me. And that satisfies my, you know, my outreach requirement every single day. But sometimes it's inherent upon me to say, I'm going to call so-and-so. 
Don't just call the newcomers. There's people that have been around these rooms for decades that are dying of their untreated disease. Call them too. I'm going to take some different action because if I do the same, I'll die in the food. If I do the same, I'll die in the food. What does he mean by that? Oh, yeah, I forgot. The disease is permanent and progressive. And if untreated, it's fatal. Now, we're out of time. Next week, we're going to talk about the difference between recovered and recovering. And that is the second most asked question on vision. What's the first most asked question on vision? Can I be heard? Can I be heard? May I be heard? Can I be heard? That's the most asked question. Now, if you're asking, may I be heard? That's improper because you're asking for permission to be heard. It's, can I be heard? And that is, do I have the ability to be heard? So let's get our English in order here. I may not be a whiz at math, but let's stop asking, may I be heard? That's an improper question. Okay, guys? It's, can I be heard? Do you have the ability to? All right, before I turn this back over to Tanya, and I've been instructed that Tanya is going to be the person in charge of the um, questions and answers. Two things. Two. One, no math. No math. Number two, uh, no food. But before I turn it over, no food, no math, I want to give a sincere thank you to Susan G. and Lewis, who last week filled in for me so beautifully. And of the people that I heard from, which was probably 50 of you, um, I heard from people that told me all the same thing that Susan and Lewis did a remarkable job, remarkable, remarkable job. So I want to thank Susan G. And I want to thank Lewis for their substitution of me last week. And they didn't really substitute. They're, they're, they're better than anyone could imagine. But they filled in last week. And I want to thank them both. They know I love them both. And uh, I'm so grateful that we... Now, the next time I'm not here will be a while because I am going to be uh, here and then I'm uh, I'm going to be in Chicago in June. But when I'm there, I'm near Poop Park. So Poop Park has a library and I can go there and do these, which is great. Uh, but the bottom line is uh, the next time I leave, I'm going to get two very, very, very special speakers for you. I have both of them in mind and you're going to love them. Okay, Tanya, I'm going to turn it over to you. And oh, one other thing. Oh, the last time we were together, if you asked a question, stay back and let people who didn't please come forward. And so, Tanya, it's take it away. It's all yours.